Mia Uni, Uro Neno Iki, Enra Mia Chibanai, Miyu Yabo. That's the Shipibo translation for Hello Ayahuasca. I'm here tonight to continue with my process. I'm Gox, and welcome to the Miyu Yabo podcast. Taken from the intro Shipibo translation, Miyu Yabo means my process. This is a platform to capture real life ayahuasca healing journeys documenting the highs and lows, and sharing the lessons that arise at the unlikeliest of times and in the unlikeliest of places. My aim is to create a comprehensive library of experiences that will help people who are thinking of embarking on their own personal adventure, or those who are already in it and looking for new perspectives to help them along their way. If you like the following episode, I'd love it if you clicked follow And also, it'd be gratefully appreciated if you would share it with anyone you think might be interested. None of the content within this podcast is intended to encourage the use of illegal substances. Anything discussed in the episodes are for information and educational purposes only, and all opinions expressed are that of the individual. None of the content should be taken as medical advice, and should not be used as a substitute to any psychotherapist, healer, or shaman. Psychedelics should not be used by some individuals, Therefore, always consult a medical professional prior to proceeding with any experience. My guest for this episode is Jesse Gould. I've mentioned a few times that the retreat centre that I went to was Saltara in Costa Rica. And uh, through all their websites and everything, I came across Jesse's name quite some time ago. Now, I was fortunate enough to have Melissa Stangle, co-founder of Saltara, as a guest. She worked with Jesse as Jesse's link to the Sultara Center, and I asked Melissa if she would reach out to Jesse to see if he'd be interested in coming on as a guest as well, and I'm really grateful to Melissa for uh, agreeing and reaching out to Jesse, and yeah, again, really grateful to Jesse as well for agreeing uh, to take part in this. After a career as an army ranger that found him deployed to Afghanistan three times, Jesse suffered from depression and anxiety and was eventually diagnosed with PTSD. His path led him to ayahuasca, and his experience drove him to set up the Heroic Hearts Project as a non-profit organization that helps military veterans gain access to psychedelic therapies. Plus, they also provide the much-needed support for both before and after the retreats. I'm really pleased to be able to start including some stories that relate to healing for military personnel as you know these guys have gone through so much and the work that they had to do and they come home very wounded uh, both physically and emotionally um, and we're starting to see how the ayahuasca healing journeys can be very helpful um, so yep yeah, so chuffed for Jesse uh, stepping forward and wanted to be a part of this. Um, we go into a lot of depth specifically about Jesse's ayahuasca experiences and then go on to speak about how the Heroic Hearts Foundation came about. Um, but Jesse was actually on a separate podcast uh, in June this year, uh, the trip on this podcast with Cat Walsh. And I wanted to share links to that episode as well, because whilst my episode goes into more depth relating to Jesse's ayahuasca experiences, Kat's episode goes into a bit more detail about the Heroic Hearts Foundation. So I felt that 
the two episodes kind of complemented each other and just wanted to add it in there as well. So I hope you enjoy this episode and yeah, I definitely recommend uh, giving Cat's job on this podcast episode a shot as well. We're all good to go. So thank you so much for wanting to come forward and be a part of this. I was really grateful to uh, Melissa uh, for reaching out to you. Um, After I did an episode with Melissa, she kindly reached out to you because I was really interested to kind of hear your story and hear about all the how the Heroic Hearts uh, Foundation kind of came about. And given that this is all a huge therapy process for veterans and stuff is just, I'm really interested to gather uh, those kind of stories as well. So, I mean, just to give you a quick background uh, about my project, it's like I went to Saltara in November uh, 2018 on a Dennis McKenna retreat. Um, I was a naive newbie, didn't know what the hell I was getting myself into, um, my anxieties and stuff held me back from actually fully diving into the process. Um, but mm-hmm. it did seem to kind of crack me open a bit. And in the kind of months when I got home, I was kind of then had to start unpacking some of my anxiety patterns. And, and then since then, once I kind of got through, I mean, Sean Chitty was a real guide for me. Um, so he's been brilliant and he helped me kind of unpack loads of stuff. And I then spent the last kind of few years kind of thinking, you know, what does the whole process mean to me? And then it was about this time last year that I started thinking, you know, actually it would be really great to have a podcast just discussing people's processes, how they've mm-hmm. gone through it, not necessarily trying to, you know, we're not trying to... F- you know, inform everybody about the theory about everything. It's just about what actually happened for you, the person who's speaking, uh, and then getting together a library of experiences to kind of cover uh, a whole wide range. Even if they were all stories about the same kind of thing, everyone would be so different. Um, And I've found it massively useful, even for me, just by hearing everybody else's stories and getting all these new perspectives and stuff that I never thought I was going to get. And yeah, the people that have come forward, you know, they've had such amazing stories and so much transformation. It's, it's just incredible. So yeah, this project is solely for, I'm, I'm only focusing on ayahuasca retreats and ayahuasca healing, um, because it just feels so broad. Um, right. I'm not looking to, Particularly, if people go on an ayahuasca retreat and they, but then they subsequently do other healing that's that complements that, then obviously that's that's cool too. Um, but the sole purpose of this is is for this kind of healing. So, and the the work that you do is just that huge part that I'm so fascinated to to hear about and to to kind of learn a bit more about uh, yourself and so the main thing that I always kind of start is is like what how did you kind of come to discover ayahuasca in the first place but I guess also from your point of view it's also maybe understanding a bit of your background about how that kind of feeds into it so yeah absolutely um yeah so I mean coming into this um 
you know, where, where I stand now running Heroic Hearts Project for the past five and a half years. So started in 2017. Uh, before that, um, I was an Army Ranger. Uh, I was in the military, uh, non-commissioned officer, um, and I was a, a, a non-commissioned officer. I was a leader, so I was in charge of many junior individuals, uh, and that involved three combat deployments to Afghanistan. And overall, when I got out of the military, I thought I was good to go. I thought I was going to hit the ground running. I already had a background in economics, so went back into finance post-military. Um, at that time, had never done psychedelics. Psychedelics were not, you know, really on my radar beyond for people I'd known that I used them in high school for this or that, you know. But it was, it was never really of interest to me. And at that point, uh, never, you know, if if you told me I'd live my whole life never having a psychedelic experience, I wouldn't have found that surprising, right? It just really didn't appeal to me. Uh, but around 2015, 2016, started really having mental health issues. Uh, try to ignore them as long as possible, uh, but just especially going into the finance, just getting back into this nine to five kind of work style, it, it just was, a, I was just affected by anxiety, depression, uh, abusing alcohol, risky behavior, all sorts of stuff. Um, and I didn't really know what was up um, and try to go change my life holistically. You know, it was like, I knew there was something I knew there was something wrong, but I just thought I could, you know, if I ate healthier, went back to the gym, got into better shape, I could probably fix it. It got to a point where I was like, okay, well, maybe I can talk to somebody, you know, clearly somebody else can possibly help me. Went to the the VA, the Department of Veteran Affairs, Mental Health for Veterans. Um, and, you know, it was just extremely apparent right off the bat that it was just sort of a fast track to medication. And at that time, I, I thought, I wasn't ready for that medication step. You know, I knew a lot of people, some had good stories, but a lot of people had just kind of got on that medication train and 10, 20 years later, they're still on that train and just had a lot of side effects and all sorts of other sort of things that, you know, and I didn't want to just ignore that the problem was there. I wanted to understand what it was and try to overcome it if possible, face it. Um, so there I was in this time and my life was kind of like, going downhill inwardly. I was just miserable, depressed, I'd get to the end of the week and just, just very unfulfilled and just depressed, like I said. And fortunately around that time, I heard a podcast. Um, I think it was like a, a Joe Rogan or Aubrey Marcus podcast and they're, they're talking about it. Um, and, you know, the t- telling stories about it. I know Aubrey Marcus because to Soltaro as well. Um, and at first, like his narration was kind of more of like, a trip report of his adventures in the space and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, I kind of listened to it with curiosity, but it had no appeal again. Like I, I didn't connect how the psychedelic experiencing aliens or dragons could help me overcome. It just seemed, you know, like a escapism. Uh, but, you know, I think it also appealed to me in, in the cultural context of hearing about this, this this ceremony ritual it wasn't just doing mushrooms in somebody's basement it wasn't just getting high to escape there there did seem to be something more to it so i think little by little that that foray into it just kind of planted a seed of there's something interesting here and i think in my spare time i just kind of continue to look into it research it and it, it transitioned from you know never do that to um actively sort of booking um looking into places to do it and just kind of came down to this decision where I was in Tampa, Florida, working that job. 
And I was like, there's nothing here that like is worthwhile to pursue. I'm not happy in this job. I can beyond the, the financial constraints, I'd just as gladly leave it. Um, you know, I wasn't dating anybody seriously at the time. There just really wasn't anything in my life at that time that I was like, I can't lose this. And whatever I was doing wasn't working. And so I decided to give this ayahuasca retreat a try. And so did research and found a place in, in Peru that looked trustworthy. Um, this was early, late 2016. Um, and even back then, you know, there was far less information, far less uh, yeah. resources around this. So it was kind of uh, figuring out as I go along of, of what, what I was getting into. Yeah, yeah, cool. So uh, so how long did you say it was before you, when you first heard about it and planted the seed to you actually then booking something or finding something? How long did you say that was? It was relatively uh, quick. It was, it was over the course of a few months. So okay, yeah. I was probably like mid-2016, uh, like summer or late summer, and then mm. actually like booking and finalizing it. Uh, would probably be more about like November time frame. Yeah, I mean that's it's similar to myself. I um yeah because I had a I had had all these ups and downs of depression and you know relatively mildish, but being on antidepressants for years and years and years and with no real end in sight. And then I was actually going through a pretty good period at the time that I discovered or heard about it. But when I heard about it, I was just kind of like, oh, wow, this just sounds really interesting, and. But I knew that even though I was feeling better at the time, it was like, well, this is potentially, you know, this is always going to come back. Yeah. And then I was just a case of, oh, I want to, I have to find out about this. I have to try this. And I was like all in. It's funny, I was all in straight away. Uh, so, yeah, when it, from when I heard about it, I would, I'd booked a retreat within a few months. Uh, but then, then it turns out when I got there, I was like, I don't think I'm actually all in in this process at all. Um, <laughs> so you're just like, yeah, it's uh, interesting how how that works. How did you end up stumbling across the retreat that you ended up choosing? Uh, so, yeah, I had, I had no idea. Again, this was kind of my first foray into to all of this. And anything I had heard was just, at the, even at that time, it was starting to get a little bit popular. You know, you'd hear about it here or there but whoever did it like a celebrity was it was way rarer than it is today obviously so i just started looking online and there really wasn't you know like the retreat gurus or any of those resources and so just be different people uh writing their opinions reviews what to look for and so i just kind of diligently went went through that i'd um back in high school studied abroad in in ecuador and so I always had an inclination to go back to South America to explore a little bit more. So I was a little bit familiar with that culture. So I knew, you know, if I was going to do this, I might as well um, do it right. And so Peru seemed to be the, the center to do it at. Um, and so I just looked at spots and figured out different places uh, and compared different retreats that were, that were options at the time and what their, their protocols were. Um, and some of them, you know, you go to the website and it seemed more, kind of drug tourism, you know, it was kind of more about like all the things you're doing around it. And then with the added ayahuasca, some of them were just trying to get your financial information as quick as possible. And then the one I found was called um, Spirit Quest in Iquitos, uh, which was led by uh, Don Howard. Um, and, you know, it was, it was this old website, you know, made decades ago. 
just not very well put together, but just tons of information. And there's like an application process, like you had to actually be approved. And uh, just the way I went about it, it just made me see, see like that it seemed much more um, sincere and focused on the healing as opposed to focus on the tourism aspects. Um, and so, you know, eventually it was, as with all this, it kind of went down to intuition and that was the place that sat the, 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 the most right uh, for me. Now that's really interesting because yeah, I've heard about Spirit Quest and Don Howard and and then subsequently when I've been trying to maybe think about if I wanted to go to South America, that kind of did come up. Um, but then uh, I think I did actually send a message to them, uh, but then they told me that Don Howard had had passed mm-hmm. uh, in in recent uh, years. So yeah, that was a that was sad. But but you being able to kind of. Uh, experience uh retreat with him is 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 incredible um yeah did you uh did you go alone or were you with anybody else or yeah i mean i uh, i didn't really know what i was getting into <laughs> yeah. um i didn't think anybody i didn't have anybody that that would be i don't i don't think interested at the time of doing this with me it was really my own sort of you know going into the cave and and fighting whatever monsters were there you know i, I really didn't even tell um many people that I was doing it. I think the only person I actually knew was, was my sister. Um, like I said, it was just that part of, uh, what I was doing that was just clear that I needed some sort of change. So even, you know, where I was, I, I, I essentially just bought a one way ticket to Peru and was just going to go do the deep dive and see what came of it. So I left my job and packed up all my stuff. And so I just told essentially my friends and family of they knew I was like struggling. They just didn't know how to help and as as I didn't know how to help. And so I just told them like, hey, I'm just miserable. Like this is just not whatever I'm doing right now is not the right for me. So I'm just gonna travel a little bit and try to clear my head and see what the actual like next steps were of just kind of have a reset. So I think they understood that that I just needed the the space uh, that they saw I was like struggling that. And so they're to their credit very supportive. Uh, but yeah, when I went there, it was just me solo, uh, with with very few people knowing knowing what I was uh, diving into. So at, at at that point, then, when you were discovering this new path and thinking about going, did you were you not really realizing that this was at all linked to uh, the the whole vet? Uh, activities that you'd been involved with was that more just like you thought you were good from all that and you just kind of moved on and didn't realize why you were starting to feel all this no there's there's definitely a connection there um okay. it was tricky just because as a as a child i had different forms of of issues like a lot of anxiety as a kid the military actually helped me with a lot of the childhood things i was struggling with but right, yeah. uh ended up augmenting other stuff so other stuff that kind of is more tied to the military, you know, I was diagnosed with, with PTSD. Um, and so I knew that there was, it was, uh, related to that, right. but I also, um, PTSD is, a, is sort of a loose term. Uh, it can mean it's, it's kind of become this sort of umbrella term for veterans. And so just being diagnosed with that didn't really tell me that much, you know? And so, and it even seemed like the experts, you know, just trying to put me on whatever medication that they think could work also indicated to me that they didn't really know that much about it. Um, and so I knew there was something to it. It was just, I was, I felt pretty confident that the way it was being approached professionally or the way it was being treated professionally was not necessarily the right way to do it. 
And it was actually um, through my own research and discovery that's actually ended up to be 100% the case of what I've learned about where this trauma comes from, a lot of these issues come from, and even more in depth, um, never diagnosed with this on an official level, but was definitely part of it where I likely had some form of microtraumatic brain injury from my time in because I was around these big weapon systems, which had a lot of concussive force. And what they're seeing now is similar to like athletes, like NFL players that keep getting hit in the head, veterans that are um, exposed to these blasts. It, uh, it creates micro abrasions and, and inflammation in the brain, which can also cause or augment some of these issues that are well known for PTSD. So again, that was never brought up to me by a doctor, even though I was actively by these systems and just through my own research and trying to figure out what was going on with me, that was one piece of the puzzle. One that I think psychedelics and ayahuasca also helped uh, resolve to some degree. Um, so yeah, I, I knew it was connected. Um, I just, I just, uh, you know, didn't know, I wasn't just willing. The, the problem with the, the VA is that it tends to, because of the limitations of the tools they use, um, they tend to treat PTSD as something that you have and that you're just going to have to deal with and maintain mm. for the bulk of your life, right? And I wasn't willing to accept that this was my new reality. And so I was willing to go toe to toe with whatever it was to sort of figure it out. Like I said, kind of do that deep dive into the cave. And if it comes out that, you know, I would have to do that, so be it. But I wasn't willing to just be like, hey, there's this some unknown thing that's causing me to be depressed, and that's just how it is, you know? Cool. Okay, great. I mean, I was kind of asking that in the, on the basis of maybe saying, is, it's, is this something that, you know, whilst it's kind of obvious that you're obviously going to be impacted by the things that you had to deal with in Afghanistan and stuff, but whether it's a case of thinking, oh, you know, you you think you're tough and you don't you're not impacted by these certain things and then you start getting confused but and then going off and doing something like this and then you go oh actually there's all this stuff that i was brushing down or suppressing and forgetting about but then it sounds like you know what you you started to get these kind of issues potentially or you know that it's kind of linked but you're doing this to try and find an alternative way through it um and so, but were you in contact with, I mean, I know that we've said that you were going on your own. So were you in contact with other people that were uh, in the military as well at that time that were starting to go through the same thing? And was there ever a, a, a discussion about getting some people together at that point to go? Or was you just kind of like, oh, I've got this to do myself and I'm just going to go with this? Yeah. Is more the latter. There really wasn't a huge discussion um, at that time in the veteran mm. community right. around psychedelics. Um, even, you know, I started the, the nonprofit shortly afterwards in the first year or so of just getting the word out there was, was very challenging in terms of finding people who are open to doing this kind of stuff. You know, it's, it's a night and day difference than what it is today. Yeah. Um just in terms of how much it permeated. So even had I tried to find a, a veteran group, it would have been more of like, what are you doing? That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Now no, that's, that's good. So that's good to know. I guess 
Yeah, from my point of view, yeah. I mean, I only got involved with this in like 2018 when it had already, you know, I heard about, or it started for me by hearing Michael Pollan's first interview with Joe Rogan when he brought out his uh, first book on psychedelics, um, which then made me find my way to ayahuasca. But I guess at that point, it was already gathering steam. So for you being like a year or two before then, it's yeah, it's a completely different landscape. Um, so, how did the whole, how did going to the retreat then, and how did the retreat start? How did the process start playing out for you the kind of first time, and what was it like for you kind of actually going there and starting it all? And and then kind yes. of what? How did it kind of unfold? And what did you kind of learn? And because this is very much a case of, uh, it's great to be able to kind of dive into the detail and actually unpack some of the things that have been uh, happening and how the kind of key learnings actually materialized and what what did it mean for you at the time and and key more importantly as well. How did you manage or how did you go about integrating those things as well? Because that's the one thing to to really kind of understand. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I went to the retreat or even on the travel, I, I went to Cusco first to kind of acclimate and explore a little bit. And uh, after a couple of weeks, went to the retreat. And so upon traveling, especially when I got to Peru and settled down, uh, I was just immediately relieved um it, it was just like i knew having left my job and all that kind of stuff that obviously nervous about the unknown future and essentially having tanked my financial career uh but i was very relieved in terms of leaving that job was the good decision and getting out of that toxic bubble that i created for myself um you know, I felt like I was taking the right steps forward. It felt like I could finally take a breath of fresh air, uh, whereas before I, I couldn't. And so then when I went to the retreat, there's still sort of the, you know, coming from the stigma side or or what we know about psychedelics, you know, there was in my head still that like dynamic of like, oh, this could potentially make me go crazy or what am I getting into? I might be permanently altered terms of personality going into this so those are still you know bouncing around in my brain and am i crazy for doing this you know just going to the spot by myself but i was also committed to it and so i went there you know nervous uh meeting other people um it was a beautiful spot so just kind of going in there with intrigue and trying to be as open as possible and not really knowing what to expect um and you know don howard was just a very knowledgeable individual um and clearly an expert and um professional in all of it and the, the group there was was great and supportive as well and some had been there before and so their stories were pretty fascinating and so in terms of the actual ceremonies uh you know they, they go through it they go over it um going there uh within the first ceremony how uh, they they do it do the prayer get you around um and you know taking that first drink going to sit obviously a little bit nervous obviously kind of contemplating and within a half an hour kind of came at me full force of all of a sudden the you know the 
geometric patterns, the vibrations, the the intensity. Uh, and, you know, it took me back, you know, I've never done anything similar, not even cannabis to going into that. It was like, oh, okay. Um, so, I mean, so yeah, first night. I mean, obviously you, you had no expectations because you hadn't done anything, but were you, what was your first feeling with that? Were you kind of like, holy fuck, what the hell? Um, or are you just going like, okay, yeah, I, I, I know I'm open to anything and yep, this is what I'm open to. This is coming at me and I'm just going to be embracing everything that, that well, happens. I, I, tr- I tried to do that, but it was probably more of the holy hell. It was yeah. more of, you know, uh, never having ridden a, a bull before and getting on the back and before it starts, you're like, okay, uh, I'm on this. And then the moment starts bucking, you're just like, oh, this is a much different experience. Yeah. And so it started bucking and it continued to buck for the full five hours. Uh, and so for me, it was just a very like chaotic, lots of images, you know, uh, puking throughout the night, you know, just constantly at the bucket uh just you know uh, for me it, it makes me very uh fidgety um and just constantly trying to get grounded just because anytime i open my eyes or close my eyes it just be intensity try to breathe you know nothing i did is just pure all-out war and chaos and discomfort throughout it so i had no idea and a lot of image dumps and you know i was exhausted by the time it ended and so it really just showed its full force. I mean, it was also a reflection of my brain trying to control the moment and not being able to acquiesce or give in. Did any of um, it? Did any of it make any form of sense? Was it just like lots of random images and stuff that was just like a roller coaster of just randomness, or did it have? And straight off the bat, was it? Did it have any sense to it at all? Nothing discernible. Uh, it was just intensity in an experience, and that's in all forms, in all sensory forms, intensity. So there might have been some images that would go through my head that were from my memory, but it, there wasn't a, a link between them, a string between them. Some of it is sort of the dumping. Others was just the geometrics and, like, changing. Others was just, like not being able to sit still, uh, you know, the feelings in the, in the stomach, the constant need to puke, the dizziness. Yeah, so there was no, like, story that I could uh, manufacture from from that first night. Yeah, and how did you uh, how did you feel in the morning after that? So afterwards, I was, I was exhausted, and then the next day um, we had the flower bath, which was nice. Um, and then the sharing circle, I think, because there's a lot of people that were kind of in that same boat. Um, for me, I was like, I, you know, I had no idea what it was. So it actually, it'd be cool to go, I have to go find my notes to see what my reflections were then. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was intense. It definitely shook me just because it was, uh, <laughs> not pleasant. Um, but for a lot of people, they kind of said like, Hey, you know, I kind of, I kind of figured it was me sort of learning how to do it. And then as you kind of get better, it gets a little bit easier. And so definitely nervous you know just kind of relaying that of just a lot of like sounds and random images but like i said no real theme but from it like because it was obviously a very uncomfortable process um you you probably knew going into that 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 wasn't going to be a surprise that it was because we know that it's 
did you know that and accept that that was potentially going to have lots of discomfort and um i i knew it could be like i had heard stuff about like bad trips um but it's experiencing versus hearing are completely different things so i had no like full idea like i knew there was puking so i knew there would be that but i didn't know how much havoc it could wreak reap on your whole system as well you know so those those are all different themes uh, yeah. so like you know in intellectually i knew that i'd be seeing stuff and uh, there'd be a puking moment to it but actually writing it out is a completely different experience so would you classify what happened as a bad trip if you if you know what i mean or did you not kind of see it as you just kind of saw it as what it was if you know what i mean yeah, I kind of saw it like I wasn't there to put judgment on it because I had no idea what it was, right? Mm. So it wasn't good or it wasn't definitely not good, but I wouldn't say it was bad just because cool. for me, I think it just kind of lended itself as like, I just didn't know how to let go. You know, it was clearly mm. there's that sort of contention where I was just struggling with it. And so mm. it seemed more like that than anything else. So it was my first foray into it, didn't really understand it to its full degree. Uh, cool. So figuring out from there. No, that's cool. I mean, I'm, again, I'm just, I'm just try, curious to know whether coming out of that, because that's a lot to deal with in the first time, um, and and then to kind of come out of that and go, okay, to be accepting of that is a, is a big thing, and not just kind of take it as like, oh my god, that was my worst night of my life, and I couldn't possibly face doing that again, and. It's just, yeah, it's really interesting to kind of hear your perspective on having that as your first experience and then being philosophical almost about it uh, the next day. Uh, Well, it's also in the the context. uh, I mean, for me, I mean, part of it, I think I am pretty curious. I think that did, there was a curiosity to it because instantly, like, there are some, I think there's a few factors. So one, it was... The, you know, we, we come in if never having done stuff of like what a drug is and what the experience is. And so that was not that. Right. And it was a challenging sort of thing. Uh, it kicked my ass. So it gave me that kind of respect that something could, uh, you know, coming from it, from this army ranger mentality of having overcome a lot. And then this thing, you know, puts me on the ground. But then also there was a, a clear depth to it. You know, it wasn't just like, it wasn't just me being drunk and, you know, there's no depth to being drunk. You're just, your yeah. senses are numbed and it can be joyous, but this had a different sort of depth to it or, or ancientness that you could feel. So I think in that, but then also back to the military thing, which is why, you know, we continue to see, I think, military members, um, dive into this so much and and i think especially from healers that i've heard they really like working with veterans because they'll just go full into it you know you know um they're there to to go into it because we're we're that's kind of what our training is you know when going through selection all this kind of stuff the whole point of training is take away all your comforts put you into some of the most horrible situations and see how your training works out um and that's part of it is used to being miserable, used to pushing yourself to your limits, used to testing the edges. And so I think going into that, that training 
uh, kind of makes you want to, it's a challenge, right? And the people that, that tend to go to like selections, like special operations selections, there's a degree of challenge there. There's a degree of testing your metal against different things. And so I think for me, initially, that's also what intrigued me of going there because I heard it was hard. I heard it was this intense experience. Um, and so keeping me on it, it was like, one, I'm here for a reason. I'm not going to back out. I put a lot of money into this. But two, you know, I'm not going to come here and just walk away um, without giving it its full opportunity. Cool. Yeah. So how did the, how did it, how many ceremonies did you have in that retreat? Was it four? So four. So then going to the second one and I was like, all right, well, that one was hard and I, I survived. So if this is the same, you know, I'll survive. And so I went into it, drank, obviously a little bit nervous and it was 10, if not a hundred times worse. Oh, really? Um, and so like Don Howard, as opposed to Sultara, Don Howard uh, worked in more of a mestizo style. So with the Shipibo style, they obviously keep it just the ayahuasca vine and the chacruna leaf. Uh, the mestizo will add other plants sometimes. Um, the ceremonies are somewhat similar, but the, there's differences, obviously. Uh, but with the ayahuasca, they can add other plants or barks or, or what have you to it and give it a little bit different personality. There's also different uh, varietals of ayahuasca that can have different effects. And so the, the second night, he called that one uh, rocket fuel um so was that a different cosmic. was that a different brew on the second one yeah he had different brews depending on like to you know because there's a story arc to a lot of this anyway and so he mm-hmm. would uh give the different brews uh depending on that and so the second he would have a little bit more intense um to really get people uh in there um and so that one like kicked off almost even quicker and was just even as, as intense as the first one was, this was ramped up, you know, volume on maximum, puking even more um, to the point where, you know, all the fears came out, all this sort of like surprise images, horrible images. Um, I remember at one point, you know, like an old trick is like if you're in pain or miserable, you just do, you make your goals smaller and smaller. So if you can't, you know, walk or run for another five minutes and can you walk for another one minute? Can you walk for another 30 seconds? And so I was in there doing that just because it was so like, mm. like hard to hold on. And so I was just like, all right, I just need to make it another second. All right. Just need to make another second. And then when I was doing that, then it just took my concept of time away. So I kind of didn't do that. And so like within it, like it did feel and this, you know, on past reflection, this is just one of the signs, like the the reason why it's valuable is because it, if you have fears or anxieties, it can heighten those. So you have to deal with them. Right. And so it brings you some of your biggest fears to realize that you can overcome them or they're not they're They can disappear as well. And so, you know, having that sort of lingering of like, am I going to go crazy? Am I going to come back to my family crazy having done this stupid thing? And so then it like in the image essentially put me on the edge of sanity where I felt like I was just that close to just losing everything in terms of my mind and grasp on everything. And so it put me there. Um, and just that whole night was just, again, like massive puking and got out of that and was just exhausted. Like what the hell was that? And definitely coming from it, like super afraid, um, 
no resolution, just kind of left, like, you know, eventually trickled off. And again, it was just sort of hard to, um, hard to put any words on or any sort of theme on it. It was just a complete ass kicking. Uh, but I think the saving grace was, you know, I was like, cause I thought it was only me. And so I was, I felt this like very lone sense of it. But the next day at like breakfast in the talk circle, uh, a lot of other people had that shell shocked eyes as well. And so seeing other people, um, have the same sort of hard experience of like, okay, well, I'm not the only one in this, like it's it kicked at a lot of people's ass. And so that actually gave me a little bit of, um, support. And then we also had the rest day. And so kind of, you know, letting myself rest a little bit and letting things settle and, um, you know, building good relationships in the meantime. Um, and so, but after that, a few people were like super nervous about not going back into it. Yeah. Um, I was nervous too, but like at that point, it was just like, again, I'm going to go give this a full effort. If it pushes me to mm-hmm. over the edge of sanity, then <laughs> that's what I'm here for. Do you think that you um, actually s- surrendered into those experiences or were you t- clinging? Do you felt like you were just clinging on for dear life and using those tactics of like, oh, just get on for another couple of seconds, get on for another couple of seconds? Or do you think that you did actually give up that grip and surrender, if you know what I mean? Um, I don't think I surrendered at that time. I think I was still had the, the, the grip on it, which is what is so hard. Hard, but that's where the lesson from the third ceremony comes where go into it super nervous, you know, hard to even down it just because you know the repercussions of it, you know, gagging on the way back to your mattress. Um, and then going into it, and I was like, all right, let's be be caught, uh, be be nice to me, all this kind of stuff. I don't know if I can handle it getting even worse. That was my biggest fear is like, I, I didn't think it'd get worse after the first one, and it did. So, and so then the third one started, and it it ramped up right to the the second one. Like it started off with a kick. Um, and so there I was, you know, for at least a while, like fighting it, puking, the same kind of stuff and just kind of in this mode. And I think it was just, you know, that, that final surrender sometimes, especially somebody, if you're hard headed, it kind of has to beat you down till you just have no, no fight left. And I think that's where I got and, you know, puked, was on the bucket, made the choice to like go back, sit up and fight, go to the next round of fighting, and then rest in that. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I see this um, like hand reach out and grab me. Um, and then that hand grabbed me. And then all of a sudden, I was in this sort of like plant like portal, like just sucking into, zooming into there. And it, like, left me out at, like, this super calm, chill spot. Like, I can't remember the first one, but it was, like, a beach one time and, like, a cafe one time. And it was just, like, sitting around other, like, entities and just kind of chilling, right? And I was just – wasn't alone. I was there. But physiologically, within that moment, uh, changed instantly. I went from, you know, being, like, having to move, like – you know, it was in the below jungle too. So it was already like humid and just like suffocating smoke in the room, just really hard to breathe to almost feeling a cool, like breeze on my cheek and my heart rate instantly down. And like where I was 
sweating beads of sweat, like instantly just calm, chill, just the most still possible. And it kept me there. And then um, sort of the self-inflicting uh, wound or the self-sabotaging mind, uh, my brain, I was there for a second and I was like, oh, finally. But then my brain went to, but what if? What if I go back or what if I puke again? The moment I had that, then right back to puking, the hellish sort of thing, the chaos, the intensity. And so then through that night, it was just really this back and forth where I'd struggle and then it would take me back. And then I'd have that same sort of thing of what if. And in that, it was really sort of this lesson of the letting go, right? It was the way I've kind of quantified it now is was almost like exercising a muscle in my brain that I didn't know I had. Um, I can always be there. Um, I just have to choose it. Like I have to change the brain thing. It's almost like meditation, right? Like if you first do meditation, all these wayward thoughts are going to distract you. And then the next thing you know, you're thinking about this for five minutes. You're like, oh shit, I should be in this meditation mode. Yeah. But it's that practice where you can just let the those thoughts flow through you and not grab onto you. So I was still letting sort of these negative, um, anxious thoughts, fear thoughts grab onto me and pull me back. So the training was I don't have to do that. I can change the scene. I can let go. I can let the thoughts flow through without it grabbing on. So by the end of that night, like I finally, as I was like wearing off, I was finally able to stay in the calm zone. And so it was still an exhausting night. Um, but it was also something of like, okay, I, I made progress. Like I did mm. something like towards the end of it, I had a little bit of resolution. So did you find, was it very much a case of saying when you were going through the whole, like all the craziness and the puking and stuff, were you very much in the Malacca in that space, but with all this stuff going on and when you finally would breathe out and actually almost surrender and relax, that's when you were taken off to a spot that was somewhere else and almost like a bliss spot. And then when you remembered you were back in the Malacca and you're back in the craziness and in the here and now. And, but then when you relaxed again, you were then off in another calm place. That's that what you're saying? Um, I don't know if I necessarily, I guess when I was in the calm place, I wasn't as conscious of the Malacca being there. But when I was in the chaos spot, you know, like if I was puking or like, trying to ground myself then yeah clearly uh, i was like in that but there's also times of intensity where i was just away from like i was just holding on you know so it was mm -hmm. sort of a combination i think it was just kind of more of the mental state versus the physical state of where i was at cool i mean the one thing it just reminds me of because i did an episode with sean chiddy as well um and he was i mean whilst it's it's kind of different but it, he he said uh he described a time when he would be going through all this kind of hellish stuff and he says, and it would almost like toy with him and it would show him, it was like he would be under underground or something and he was like going through all this hellish stuff and then all of a sudden his, it would pop his head out of the ground and it would see this kind of beauty and stuff and he'd be like, oh, this is cool. And then he would say, right, you've seen it now and it would push him back down again and then he's like back into this whole hellishness of puking. He's like, all oh, right, okay, so that's that. It just kind of sounded a little bit uh, similar. Yeah, similar. Yeah. yeah but a visual yeah. Rep a different visual representation of it yeah yeah absolutely yeah and so over the course of this week i think it was actually like i can't remember if it was 
might have been the rest day. We did a boba and sauna ceremony too, which was really nice. It was kind of more of a joyful sort of thing. Um, it was like fermented boba and sauna or something like that, and like got the group really close and everything. So I kind of relieved it. But um, yeah, so then going into the fourth, I felt better just because I felt like okay, we're finally making progress. And like the third night was nowhere near as crazy and wild as the second. Um, so I went in, uh, you know, went for it again, um, and drink. And at first, you know, again, it always hits me hard. And so it was just kind of like getting steady. Uh, and so it was a little bit, again, sort of like back and forth, uh, but I was actually able to stay in good zone for a longer or the peaceful zone and like stay in it. Um, and so like, you know, the first, half an hour, hour was that kind of back and forth and then finally able to do it. Uh, and so then I was just kind of in this like zone. And so in there, um, you know, it was just very connected, very grounded, um, really connected to, which is hard to describe, but sort of this warrior spirit, sort of this kind of noble spirit. Um, there's just a lot of like images uh, and feelings around that um like just historical like you know royalty or even sort of this now you know there's different things of just sort of this um dynamic of that of um it's hard to say but that 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 feeling of noble um or that feeling of integrity or that feeling of purpose or, or warriorhood uh which is very hard to explain but i was really connected to that and just kind of going through that and it was more sort of an emotional thing. There weren't really messages. It was just feeling into that and feeling centered and feeling grounded and in, into who I was. Um, and that lasted for a while in different images, different landscapes, really depending on the music. Um, and then towards the end, uh, like I could tell it was like, you know, it was like sort of wearing off a little bit. And so I was like, okay, well, let me interact with it, you know, see if there's i can walk with any messages i, I you know I didn't, it wasn't like a fortune teller machine so i, I kind of i knew that i wasn't just gonna ask but there was still sort of a lingering of like hey i just left everything behind big anxiety factors like what what's my path what's what's next like what's going to be outlined for me and the biggest message there there's like a few things back and forth but this was like the biggest take from it um was uh you know, part of the reason it was just sort of the realization of like, hey, part of the reason you're so miserable and depressed at the previous job, which was a big corporate job, was because it was uh, sequestering you into this very uncreative, very unfilled lifestyle, you know, going in, working long hours for no purpose, for no, and the whole corporate world is about limiting your creativity to automate things. And so it was like, the, when you have, when your life is like that, that's when you get depressed, whereas now you have an adventure ahead of you and it's going to be challenging and it's going to be unknown, but uh, that's what inspires, that's what challenges your creative mind and that's what tests your mettle. And so that's, is like, enjoy that, you know, because that's a rare sort of thing. And so it's just sort of that comfort and like, you may not know what's going next, but if you didn't know what was coming next, you'd just be bored and depressed and back at, you know, the 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 ways i was before whereas at that point it was just I had many unknowns and that's where i was supposed to be tested um so just that change in perspective um 
still didn't make things easier, but it, it gave it that kind of perspective. So then there's just like other things of like some self-love and um, gratitude and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then it sort of ended and just felt really accomplished uh, from it. Um, and so, you know, like I said, there, was, there wasn't too many like profound messages or what to do next, but it was just a very centering sort of experience. And then after it all, um, just felt you know, obviously relieved, obviously uplifted, um, very close to everybody else. It did feel like my brain had been reset, you know. Um, I, I often say it felt like it had defragged my brain as you would a computer where it just seemed more efficient. And um, what I tell people is, like, this is kind of in comparison and, and looking back, uh, this is after some time, before in comparison, my brain, you know, when I was in the pre-ayahuasca days, it almost felt like it just wasn't working efficiently and the inefficiency was actually like harming me. It was like almost like warring states in my brain where it's just not fire, you know, like a, a car with a cylinder is not firing correctly and just kind of coming into confrontation of different phases of my life or different things. Whereas afterwards it finally felt like brain, my brain was one cohesive unit working for me. You know, it wasn't out to get me. It wasn't, uh, that and so that was just felt differently um and so yeah that was kind of the experience side of it cool so that sounds i mean from an outsider point of view looking in on it it sounds like it's very much a it's going through your process of getting initiated into your process of it uh, and also there's a obviously the first time you do it there's got to be a lot of cleansing and clearing out um which then maybe starts the next kind of process um but yeah i mean it sounds really interesting to have the whole your experience being described as the you know having all that struggle and fighting and holding on and having the moments of actually surrendering and going to a place of calm and then the way it just kind of interacts with that that's really interesting to to hear so so how does, uh, with the end of that, how did the next phase play out after you left that? What was next for you then? Yeah, so then, like I said, left everything behind. So still in South America, I decided to travel and just work odd jobs here and there. Uh, didn't really have a specific purpose. Fortunately, by then, I had saved up a little bit of money, so I had a little bit of flexibility, especially, you know, it's cheaper and those countries. Uh, so I was meeting up with some friends, ended up in Colombia. Um, you know, like a month or two afterwards, it was sort of the idea. Well, one, there, there, you know, there's some guidelines about integration, but there really was not that much support. You know, again, it was kind of in contrast to where it is now, where it's, you know, everybody's first mention. Uh, there is kind of, you know, you, you, you got to figure it out. And so, you know, obviously hit my own potholes and hit my own, like, some of that habits coming back in, still maintaining, you know, still obviously better off, but uh, really kind of hitting the guardrails myself. Um, and at that time too, started talking about it a little bit to friends and family. And uh, at that time, I already had a number of people I knew who had taken their own life in the military, uh, knew many more that were actively struggling. And so here I was coming from this thing that really wasn't being talked about. I was like, Oh, well, like 
I think some of my friends would benefit from this, at least to know about it. And it was also that kind of clarity of like, I could have been more prepared for it. I could have been prepared more after it, all that kind of stuff. And so the more I kind of like talked to people about it and told them, like even people that are still in, I was like, hey, I just did this. Is this crazy? And most, more often than not, the the friends I had in the military were like, hey, man, if it works, it sounds a little crazy, but if it works, it works. Why not? You know, and military perspective tends to be like that. You know, you can't plan for everything, but if you have a tool, why not use it? Um, and it kind of more and more growingly became kind of this um, sort of thing in my head, uh, kind of an obligation where it was more of like, hey, I just personally stumbled upon this. Um and the two questions I kept asking was like, one, does this have the potential of, of helping people that you know? And the answer was yes. And two, do you have the ability to actually make it something? And that was also yes, given my business background and military background and other backgrounds. And so at that, with those two yeses, it was like, okay, well then you're somewhat obligated to at least try something, to put it out there and, and see what comes of it to you can help other people then you know why not put this out there so that's kind of was the start of her cards so that was uh you know starting to build a, a little bit in like mostly in march and then the official like start date was uh the first of april um so in that time frame just looking up how to start a nonprofit. again i was in the middle of nowhere in columbia so what, using what research i could and just doing internet and at that time too, I was also afterwards just doing due diligence and found that there's more looking into like seeing there's scientific precedent as to why it might work. There's some early studies that showed that, that kind of backed up what I was feeling. And then also they're really looking into it. There really was no like major veteran voice or veteran organization that was actively pursuing this or pushing this or like educating or connecting veterans to it like giving them the tools to get there and so there's this you know it just wasn't being discussed beyond for like small circles or small like facebook groups here or there there really wasn't anything majorly doing it or pushing it forward um so that's when i kind of just was like all right well let's let's create a website and figure this out and so just kind of put it out there figured out how to apply for a nonprofit and all this kind of stuff um and started the the business like i said the official start date was April 1st, and then it was just really uh, reaching out, cold calling, uh, figuring it out. Um, but pretty surreptitiously, you know, the media, the moment I put it out there, just started meeting the right people at the right time. So almost within like two months, three months of starting it, uh, I was able to get funding to um, sponsor a group of about five vets uh, to go to a retreat center. Um, also got connected to a group that was doing a documentary about it um so we got tied up with them and that's actually where i first met uh, melissa who started soltara so the first veteran group i sent so we sent one female individual to spirit quest but then i sent a group to arcana which was her original or pulse tours which was her original spot in peru so sent them there and that's how i got linked up to the documentary which is also filmed there um and so her and dan she was just working there dan was a part owner uh and so that's how i got linked up to them and then they eventually he eventually sold his interest and started Zoltara with her 
Um, and so, yeah, so then it def- definitely difficult. Like I said, you know, there's a, the period of 2018, 2019, where there's these big major events that really just sort of changed the playing field. But before then, it was, it was a very different landscape you know very few people talking about integration really no programs for it um most people you know especially for ptsd uh, really hadn't heard about it um and so just calling people putting it out there um you know getting some traction here and there um yeah so that was that was kind of the, the origins cool so you had your one retreat and that in itself was the the setting up of the Heroic Hearts uh, Foundation was pretty much the next thing for you. And it sounds like that. How, how long was it from the end of the, when did you finish the t- retreat? Because you said it, the Heroic Hearts Foundation was started on April 1st. Was that 2018 yeah. or was it so, 17? 2017. 2017. Uh, so I, my, my retreat finished up like mid February. Okay. Um, So pretty quickly afterwards, because like I said, you know, it was, you know, wasn't. I knew I wasn't. uh, I knew there's a lot to learn for me, but just from the experience and from the stories that I heard and the research I did afterwards, it's pretty apparent that there's something to it. And so at that point, it was just more of a dynamic of, you know, I knew a lot of guys had tried everything else, so why not give them one more possibility? Like I know I, I, I don't have a skill set to curate, uh, I, I can connect them to retreats that seem to know what they're doing. Uh, but if they're at their, their rope's end, why not give them one more tool or one more opportunity? And so that's kind of where I was starting is like, the suicide rate was already pretty high. And so it was just, you know, if, if it's between that and going to this, why not give this a shot? Yeah. So the purpose of the foundation is to assist uh veterans in getting access to being able to go on these retreat centers going to a retreat uh, and yeah, the foundation exactly. itself uh, provides the funding uh, for that exactly so pretty much creating a program about what i felt was missing from my own so using you know using the healers that know that but connecting the veterans to it but then also providing the support before and afterwards uh, and then also the education piece, you know, like that's kind of a big part of it of just talking about it within the veteran community, laying that foundation. Uh, and that's oftentimes the case of just putting it out there. And then, you know, it takes people sometimes like a year, a couple of years, and then like, okay, this is ready. Now that I know this is out there. So that's kind of, I think, one of the ways we've been most fundamental in terms of creating those ripples throughout the, the community. Uh, but yeah, the the basis of our operations program is that and what we've evolved and developed over the years is essentially veterans come to us. We do a basic intake to make sure it's it's aligned, it's safe uh, in terms of medications and contraindications and health concerns. Uh, kind of give them education so that they can make good decisions themselves. And then if they fit with our program, we'll find like a date that works. Uh, and we work with different retreat centers. Um, you know, we've worked with Soltara and done veteran groups there in the past. Uh, so we vet whatever retreat center, make sure that they're aligned and, you know, we like how they're running business. And then what we provide is we'll do four to six weeks of preparatory work. So uh, group Zoom calls as well as individual coaching. Um, and then financial grants to the retreat centers themselves. Um, and then the aftercare. So uh follow-up 
group Zoom calls for integration and then follow up uh, individual coaching afterwards. Excellent. Um, and how how do the uh, how do the veterans normally find their way to you? Is it pretty much a word of mouth thing, and then they just end up uh, contacting you themselves, or are they getting referred there by any other way? Yeah, I'd say either referral or word of mouth. Uh, we've we've ever, you know, like I said, the first like year or so, uh, I had to like go to like forums and like, hey, I'm doing this, and it was a tricky kind of thing. Uh, but ever since we we started getting momentum and this started becoming more in the in the the common, you know, common uh, that people knew about it, it, we haven't had to reach out at all. It's um, one, it's good that the education is getting out there, but two, it's it indicates how bad the situation is that you know us as a fairly small nonprofit, you know, mm. hundreds of vets have come seeking uh, what we're doing, so they just find us, find our application. Yeah, and definitely at this point now, it's such it will be such a well known foundation, especially in those circles that your work is done to set it all up and now you're just getting the I mean you finding it just exponentially growing the number of applications you're getting now that it's just yeah yeah absolutely it's it's a bit um overwhelming but we're doing what we can to help as many as we can do you have it do you have any idea the volume of the number of uh people that you've helped so far uh uh I think by the end of this year we'll have helped over 350 and then but we have like probably twelve hundred applications on the waiting list. Wow, that's that's amazing. Um, so, how has the process? Has your process now been solely consumed uh, with this foundation, uh, or has the ayahuasca journey for you continued? Have you been? Did you end up going for further retreats? Yeah, I've gone to further retreats. Um, so I ended up going back later in 2017. Uh, They're filming that documentary at Arcana later that year. So I went back. So I was kind of going more in terms of that, but um, went through some ceremonies and actually got a lot of healing out of it. Um, and so then, yeah, a little bit here and there, whether ayahuasca or other psychedelics. Um, I haven't done in a while a deep dive for myself just because a lot consumed by the nonprofit, but I, I will still, for instance, if I go to vet a new place or a new retreat or healer, I'll, or if I'm facilitating for a veteran group, I'll generally participate in a ceremony with them. Or if I'm vetting a spot, I'll go through a ceremony to see how interact. So I still have that, but it's, it's approaching it differently. So it's going to be a little bit different and I'll generally take like a smaller dose just to kind of see how everything's being run and everything and see if it's sort of aligned. Um, so still have the, the interaction with it and no matter what, you'll get little truth nuggets, even if you, you think you're, you're good to go. Um, but I haven't done, you know, I think the next step for me would be doing a dieta, but I want to be in a, a clearer headspace before, uh, yeah. I go to that. Do you find that the subsequent um, ceremonies that you were involved with had any of the same themes uh, of your first sets of ceremonies, uh, or was it kind of that was that, and your new experiences were of a completely different? Uh, I guess it wasn't the 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 subsequent ones weren't with Don Howard. Was that right? No, no. No, they were di different healers. 
Um, no, there, there'd be, I mean, there's some themes that were common, uh, common, you know, like still even to this day, they'll, they'll start off pretty rocky and then I kind of have to like ease my mind and get into it. So it's continuation of that lesson. Um, but there's just been different themes, you know, anxiety has been a, a big part of my life. And so I've had a few that just kind of really did a deep dive into that and really made me like face it and sit it and do all, do different things and, yeah, so just different. I think it became more poignant afterwards of focusing on on different dynamics or yeah. where I was at that time, as opposed to sort of probably the the bigger rock, bigger rocking that happened in the first retreat. Cool. So for the subsequent ceremonies, then did you get any big bang new lessons uh, uh, that you visions or? Any kind of new lessons that you learned anything significantly new uh, for that? Or is it more just kind of like a continuation of like the cleansing and stuff, if you know what I mean? Did you did you resolve any any specific historical things or didn't bring up anything new? Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's always new things. Um I would wouldn't say it was anything. It was just kind of deepening my understanding or perspective or relationships with with different things. There there hasn't been anything of like, here's the secret to this, and boom, everything's cool. changed. But for instance, you know, I've I've had a ceremony where um, I you know I already had a good relationship with my parents, but they both had a, a bad divorce when I was young, and that led to a lot of stuff. And so I had an experience where I just went in and kind of saw things from their perspective and felt. A lot of compassion for where they were and you know help that understanding at least on my level like i said there's one in terms of anxiety and it sort of just made me face um a lot of those different aspects and expectations that I created for myself and so i had to do that kind of thing a more recent one um that i was just sort of sitting in with a group of veterans and took a very small dose but it, it still uh got a hold of me it was just kind of more of a where I'm at right now. And this was like a year or so ago. Um, mm. And it was just, uh, it was it just sort of showed me, it was a very suffocating one because it was showing how much I was being suffocated by work with this nonprofit just because it's like any other startup where it just kind of consumes all your day in and day out. And it was just showing me kind of led to the realization of I, I need to create space for my wife. I need to create space for myself. I need to create space for my life outside of the nonprofit. I can't just be all day, every day uh, work. Right. Even yeah. if it's a passion kind of thing. And so that was a realization I didn't expect to have. And it sort of showed it to me through how much my brain was being suffocated and there's no space and how like tight that was uh, mm. because in that discomfort is the, representation of what i was doing for myself on a subconscious and, and mental level um so yeah so from that I've, I've made some active changes so i mean there's always you know uh there's always more to learn there's always different things that come up in our life that we sometimes don't necessarily place properly or we don't handle properly yeah definitely and that sounds that sounds excellent. Um, and yeah, some of the things that you're saying are definitely some of the themes that I've kind of heard um, other people say. Um, and whilst everybody, I mean, I'm getting on for sort of 20 episodes now. Uh, and so I'm getting to the point where whilst everybody's 
story is completely different and unique to them, some of these kind of crossovers are starting to happen and you can start to notice the same. These are the same themes. They may be represented slightly differently, um, yeah. but it's just, I mean, that's starting to be really fascinating to kind of get all these different layers and however, how it all kind of intertwines. And it's really kind of like largely, largely the same thing. So, uh, yeah. So do you, do you find that you are able to start slowing down? Uh, at the moment, or do you think it's still just a bit like, oh, it's still just like like that first ayahuasca ceremony where it's just constantly coming at you all the time? Um, it's definitely still bouncing plates, um, but the I've made noticeable changes um, each year to where it's getting a little bit better. Hard part is when it gets a little bit better on some spots and it expands in other spots, you can find yourself in similar positions. Yeah. Uh, but, um, definitely made changes. I need to make more changes. It's a, it's a constant sort of thing, but like even this year, um, I, with COVID and just work, I used to do like running races and I hadn't done it for a while. And so felt bad for not doing that. And so I actually did another one this year. So, um, trained and got into that and plan on continuing that. Um, so yeah, I mean, just being conscious of it and trying to, there's no complete change automatically. It takes a process, but um, little by little, just for the sake of myself and for my team to not get at burnout rates, I'll be a better leader if I do make those changes. So even if it's for the sake of doing what we do better, I need, I, I kind of have to do it. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So, um, and definitely, I mean, given your, I totally appreciate how busy you are and I'm so grateful uh, to you for taking the time out and, and coming and speaking to me. It's been absolutely amazing being able to kind of hear uh, your story, um, especially from starting to get this whole military uh, experiences uh, to my library is, is, is really important and being able to kind of, I don't, just doesn't, I don't need to spread the word about the heroic hearts. It sounds like it's doing that pretty much uh, on its own. And, but, but just you being able to bring, you giving me your time uh is i'm i'm so i'm so chuffed uh for that uh and kind of i i saw you'd also um i just got in contact uh with cat from trip on this podcast um, mm-hmm. and i saw that you'd just done an episode uh on on there as well so um yeah. we've got a kind of We've got a, a, we're scheduled to kind of do, she's going to come on my podcast uh, at the end of the month. So I'm really looking forward to that. So um, I'm going to, I didn't want to listen to your episode on hers yet because I didn't want to be influenced uh, by it. I wanted this to be an organic conversation. So uh, one of my key, one of my first things I'm going to do is uh, once I've got this kind of ready and out there, I'm going to go and check out that uh, to kind of hear, hear, hear what you guys ended up speaking about. So but yeah, I'm so uh, I'm so chuffed that you were able to take the time out, uh, and yeah, it's such an amazing uh, project uh, that you're doing, uh, and it's such an important uh, thing. I know that I there were some uh, military guys on my retreat and stuff, and yeah, just being I was so touched by. Uh, I mean, th- there was specifically one guy uh, on there that. I remember when I first got there, you know, I'm a, I'm basically just like a country bumpkin, uh, afraid of everything. I've never had to do anything scary like that, uh, terrified of like, you know, 
I've recently really come to terms or really realized about how much my, I've got this kind of like freeze response to trauma, um, just from like my kind of childhood thing. So yeah, I don't think I would do well in a military, uh, situation, but immediately kind of seeing some of these guys and thinking that they're just these tough guys. Um, but then there was like a moment in a sharing circle where he just kind of, got emotional and I just remember being so touched by the fact that I'm just like oh my god he's not at all this image that I thought he was going to be he's this like really unbelievably soft-hearted caring person and I just remember being really touched and kind of a bit overwhelmed at the retreat just at and felt so much sorrow for what these guys had to go through obviously without having any idea at the magnitude of what it is but it's just like for me it's just unimaginable um what they had to go through uh and yeah it's just yeah incredible that 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 this is available for people like that because there's people like that that really kind of need this kind of release of these traumas I'm, i'm such a believer now of trauma being stored in the body and how much that in itself manifests in so many different ways that is detrimental and going through all these situations where you are forced to suppress everything is it's obviously going to come out in other ways and these guys having to suppress immensely huge things it's not just like me, but childhood bullying and stuff in the classroom. It's like these yeah. severe traumas that have to be pushed into the far corners, which are going to come out uh, somehow. So what do you think is uh, just on a kind of closing thought then? So what what's next for the heroic heart? So is it, did I see that it's, is it in the UK as well? Um, yeah, so we have a branch in the UK and one in Canada. So the UK is still working on their charity status. It's very tricky there, uh, but little by little. Um, so, yeah, uh, Keith over there, uh, Keith Abraham is doing a great job running that. He's a vet himself. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the goal is kind of looking to the future of, you know, we always want to have the connection to these ceremonies done traditionally, done with respect to the indigenous cultures and how it's always been done. Um, but there's also the, the clear dynamic of scalability and what does this look like, look like coming to the U S right. Um, just kind of broader psychedelic sense, not necessarily ayahuasca. Ayahuasca is a little trickier in terms of that. Uh, so, I mean, you know, we'll always kind of continue our program, but one side, we're just kind of seeing how different psychedelics work and, you know, sort of in what situation, uh, but then also, what sort of models can we create that, you know, we have hun- tens of thousands of vets that are going to need this treatment and it's not feasible to send them to the jungle, you know, all of them yeah. in this mass migration. So how do we build some of these infrastructures here? How do we maintain um, the culture of it, the respect to it, uh, but bring it to a spot where it's a little bit more accessible uh, for people here? maybe starting off with psilocybin. So like psilocybin circles that can kind of get people there. And then if they choose to continue, then we have that pipeline. So that's sort of the model, like what we're trying to figure out in terms of how do we make this scalable, uh, accessible, affordable uh, for a wider audience 
Um, and, you know, as you know, mental health is not just in the veteran community. It's pretty widespread, and we, we, we're seeing that now. So I think the models that we create with this can possibly help other communities to create their own community-centered uh, healing structures. Wonderful. Thank you for yeah, yeah everything you do. It's amazing. And thank you for coming to this. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, and I'll, Absolutely. I'll let you, I'll let you get on with your busy day. Uh, it's the end of my day here, so I'll be heading to bed soon. Uh, but yeah, really, it was a great conversation. I was so chuffed to be able to hear uh, your stories and how everything came about. So yeah, immense gratitude to you for all the things you're doing and for coming to this. So thank you so much. Of course. Would you like me to connect you to Keith of the UK branch? Yeah, but that would be wonderful if you could. Um, and uh, okay. I'll, I'll have a chat with him as well. That'd be brilliant. Cool. Yeah, thank you so much. And catch you later. Great to meet you. Nice Let to me meet know you. how I can help. Cheers. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thanks for making it through to the end. I really hope you enjoyed the content and managed to get something out of it. Remember, if you liked it, I'd love it if you clicked follow to be notified of future episodes. And also, it would be gratefully appreciated if you would share it with anyone you think might be interested. Hope to see you again.